Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. You know, these are really precious times that we have together in the presence of the Lord. And every gathering is, is a unique experience. Uh, we'll, we'll never have all the same people here again. Uh, the Lord will not speak the same things to us again. It's every time we gather, it's an opportunity. Uh, and, and the more we press in to the Lord, the more we minister to Him, the more He does in us. And it's, it, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I just, uh, I, I thank the Lord for the words that He released to us today. Uh, grab onto those words uh, we're, we're in days when we need promotion uh, because we, we need as, as the people of God we, we need more authority than what we currently walk in and the way we get there is what Jerry shared with us. It's, it's repentance. Uh, the renewed mind is a powerful thing. The renewed mind is a dangerous thing to the forces of darkness. Because when we operate and we live our life out of a renewed mind... And we, we begin to think the way God thinks, and we begin to see things the way God sees things, the enemy can no longer manipulate us. Because he, he will do things that he used to do, and he knew that if he did A, we would do B. Because that, that's the way we are. And when we start to operate in a renewed mind, he can do A, and we don't do B anymore. We do something different, and it completely messes him up. And he can't figure it out because he can't figure out the ways of God. He's a created being. You know, we, we don't live in a universe where, where there are two opposite powers that are at work. And, and sometimes... The good side's winning, and sometimes the bad side is winning, and we're just not exactly sure which side is, is going to come out on top. That's paganism. There, there is one God, and, and then there is the kingdom of darkness that, that is just so pitifully small compared to God and his kingdom. It, it is not a fair fight. And, and the only time 
that the, the forces of darkness can get anywhere is when we agree with them. And, and then we, we let them have some of our authority. So, and the renewed mind will not do that. Uh, it will not agree with the forces of darkness because it will recognize the lies of the enemy right away. So, so this is where we're headed. Now, I, I think I decided that we're, we're kind of in a series uh, that's, that's looking at a bride made ready. Uh, this, this is kind of the theme that the Lord has us in for, for right now. And the words today were uh, very much reinforcing this, this idea. Uh, and and we, we need to become a bride who's made ready. And when Revelation talks about a, a bride who has made herself ready, that indicates that there's a part for us in, in this. There, there is God's part in this, but there, there is our part also in coming into agreement with what God's doing in, in our lives, which is why we have to be careful who we're coming into agreement with. Because if we come into agreement with the wrong thoughts, the wrong motives, it, it detours us from becoming ready because it makes our journey longer. So we got to be careful who we come into agreement with. <clears throat> Last week, we looked at the idea of, I have a slide for this, of changing the way we think. What we set our minds upon. Uh, that has a lot to do with who we're coming into agreement with. And we, we looked at the example of Peter and how he had the most amazing revelation of a human being when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter had the right answer. But just moments later, Jesus, the Son of God, equates what Peter was saying and doing with Satan. Because, Jesus said, Peter, you have your mind set upon the things of man rather than the things of God. So I talked about how important it is for us as the people of God to set our minds on the things of God. And, and we looked at that passage in Philippians. We, we looked at some other passages. Set your minds on things above where Christ is. And I talked about the idea of even imagining what God wants to do in our city. And, and how... Even that can release the forces of the kingdom of heaven into our city. And I don't know how that works, but if 
coming into agreement with the forces of darkness can give them authority and allow them to do things that they otherwise would not be able to do. I'm pretty sure there's a spiritual principle at work there that works in the heavenly side as well. That when we come into agreement with God about what He wants to do, it does something, releases something in the kingdom of heaven. So, I, I really felt like that is a key for us. It's setting our mind on the things of God, not setting our mind on the things of men. And I, that's a key to promotion in spiritual authority. It's a key to our growth spiritually. So, I, I feel like today I have another key for our lives and it again relates to the renewing of the mind and it's disagreeing with something that's false that just about everybody in our culture believes and coming into agreement with God and his kingdom and how his kingdom operates and we're going to begin with Luke chapter 12. And what was the next slide? So I think I had one for this week. Okay, that's all it was. So let's go to Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> And we'll start in verse 13. And someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So the key statement here in, in this passage for the message today 
is not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So, what, what does that mean exactly? What, what your life consists of? It's what defines your life? Or what is your life really made up of? And marketers in our culture would say the opposite of what Jesus said. Uh, they would say, my life is defined by maybe what I own, my house, my car. Uh, it's defined by uh, my job, by what I do. Uh, maybe it's defined by a hobby. Or, uh, you know, some, some people seem to be defined by sports teams that, that they associate with. I, I mean, some people spend hundreds of dollars plastering their vehicles and, and their clothing with sports team logos and things. And uh, there, there's a reason for that. They, they are identifying with something. And consciously or subconsciously, they, they are defining themselves in, in some way by their association with those things. And, and that, that's, it's a very common thing in, in our culture to say, and, and most people would not say it the way that Jesus says it here, that my life consists of the Denver Broncos or what, whatever it, it might be. But on Monday morning, you, you might think that. If there's a, a complete reliving of this, this game that lasted a couple hours the, the day before, and it, it might either make their next week really good or it might make their next week really bad, depending on what happened in those two hours 100 miles away by, you know, 50 guys on, on a, a green patch of earth. Uh, so, and, and that, that, I don't want to pick on that too much because, you know, many people are, are defined by their job. And, you know, it's very common for, for men, especially in our culture, when we meet other men, well, what do you do? Be, because that, that tells me a lot about who you are, about maybe your education, maybe your social status, maybe a, a lot of different things. But we, we have to understand that Jesus is, is making this statement not just as a wise teacher. He's, he's making this statement as God. The one by whom and for whom and through whom all things were created. He, he understands what he's talking about. And 
his understanding goes back to before Genesis chapter 1. But it begins to unfold in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, where, where we see that human beings were created for a purpose. And that purpose was communion with the living God. To the, the Westminster Catechism says the, the chief purpose of man is to love God and enjoy Him forever. And, and I think those guys had an understanding of our, our created purpose. So <clears throat> I, I think part of what the Lord is wanting to do today is, is to confront our value system at a, a deep level so that even if our definition of our life related to what we do, what we possess, who we associate ourselves with, even if that is pretty subconscious and hidden below the surface, the, the Lord wants to confront it. Because he, he wants to heal our definition of what our life truly is comprised of, what our life is defined by. And, and see, as, as followers of Jesus, our, our life truly is, is defined by our... Uh, I, I, I want to say this well, and I'm having trouble finding the right words, but by our encountering Jesus. That, that, that is, it is the defining moment in our lives as the people of God, as, as followers of Jesus. At, at some point, we, we encountered Jesus and, and we were confronted with a question of either no or yes. And that moment defined our life. Yeah. Because if we said yes, and, and we bowed, and we, we said, yes, you are God. You, you are who Peter said you were. Then then something happened within our being 
And, and we, were no, we are no longer who we were. Because Paul says that, that we became a new kind of creature. Because the, the very life of God came within us and, and made us into something that we were not before. Giving us spiritual capacities and capabilities that, that were completely out of the question before. But, but now those spiritual capacities and capabilities are beyond what we would even think possible right now. But, but they are. They, they are there. And, and we truly are, are defined by that encounter. And and not just for this time on earth. Because, you see, what happened is that when we said yes to Jesus, and we became a new creature at that moment, we entered into eternal life right then and there. For us, the people of God, eternal life is not something that, that we look forward to after we die. We're in it. Because... Yeah, although there's, there's a, a change in, in our, our being that is going to take place when we cross that veil from this life in, in the natural, in a very limited physical body into the next life when, when we will have a, a different body, uh, particularly after the resurrection. But that, that would take a whole half hour to explain all that at least our our life does not end and then start again is what i'm saying our life ended when we said yes to jesus our our natural life it it ended and that's why we do baptism and and we we just celebrated that for charlie and i i said we're we're celebrating the death of, of Charlie Moore today. And, and that's what we were doing. But we also celebrated his resurrection to eternal life that already took place. So that's, this, this is a very important shift in our perspective that, that we need. We, we need to understand this. We, we are not who we were. We, we are new. And, and we, we've entered into eternal life. 
And so for, for us who, who have entered into eternal life, for us to define our life with physical material possessions and, and stuff that we're going to leave behind, it doesn't make a lot of sense. There, there was, a, I think, a 4th century theologian named Ambrose who, who was an, an amazing early church theologian. He, he said, the things we cannot take with us are not truly ours. You know, we, we could ask a few thousand people 70 to 100 miles south of here about that. So when the water's coming, and it's get out and live or try to pack some stuff out and possibly die, you find out the, the true market value of your stuff. <laughs> you leave it behind. And uh, Augustine, who was a student of Ambrose, uh, he made a couple statements related to the parable that Jesus gave. And, and he said, that, and this is, this is so good, the, the bellies of the poor are safer storehouses than barns. The bellies of the poor are safer storehouses than barns. And part of what the Lord wants to do with us is he, he wants to heal our understanding of who we really are. And when that has taken place, we, we view things somewhat differently. It's, it's no longer about hoarding and storing for the future. And, and I'm not making a statement against preparing for crazy things that may happen in the near future. Uh, because most of us who are doing some of that kind of preparation are doing it with the thought of being able to help others in, in the future. But there is a, a hoarding and storing that is simply out of selfishness. And, and that is really what Jesus was confronting in, in this parable. 
And I, I just, I, I don't really want to get into the detail because we, we could easily spend the next hour on this parable, but I just want to make a couple of observations. Community was really important in, in the time of Jesus. And for, for Jesus to, to talk about this parable or this man in the parable making a, a pretty significant decision about his life to tear down his barns and build bigger barns in order to hold the great produce from the bumper crop that he, he just had. That would have been something that you, you talked through and you talked over with, with all of the people in your community. But what Jesus was showing is for this guy who was so interested in keeping all of his stuff for himself, the only person he had to talk to about that decision was himself. The, the Greek literally was that he, he talked to himself about this because there, there wasn't anyone else he was close enough to to confer about this big decision and that is the tendency when when we think our life is defined by our stuff then we want to hold on to our stuff. And, and that kind of lifestyle tends to separate us rather than moving us into more community. So that, that really was, was what I, I wanted to say about that. Uh, I, I want to go to Jesus' definition of what our life does consist of because Jesus is, is not one to say this is not the truth without telling us what the truth is. So, John 17 is where we look for Jesus' answer. After this, or after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. And this is the, the great prayer that Jesus prays for us. Father, the time has come. Glorify your, your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they... 
may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave to me. So, your life does not consist of your possessions, your job, the things that you like to do, the things that you like to be associated with. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've been born again, your life consists of, your life is defined by knowing God. Now I hope a lot of priorities and values have been confronted in that statement. Because, once again, Jesus, Jesus didn't say life, or he didn't just say life is defined by this. He said, eternal life is defined by this. And all of us who have been born again are, are in eternal life. We, we are already living it. And what our life actually consists of is knowing God. And that, that word knowing, it is, in the Greek, that word is to know and be known. It, it is relationship. It, it is intimacy. It, it, it is the same word for the knowing that produces children. If you understand what I mean. That is, is what defines our life. And Solomon, the wisest man probably who ever lived, had some things to say about the wrong way of defining life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 18, he says, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun. 
because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This is meaningless or vanity. He, he understood it. What a man cannot take with him is not truly his. And, you know, Jesus' last statement uh, or closing statement in, in that parable of the rich fool God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's, it's not that God is against us having possessions. He, he is against us defining ourselves by, by those possessions. And, and he is opposed to us hoarding and not sharing what we have. And, you know, there, there is a place for inheritance there, within families. There, there, there is a place for uh, leaving something to the next generation so they can go higher than, than you were able to go. But... When, when you look at the life of Jesus and, and the way he lived, he, he lived as though his father owned everything. Which was the truth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and, and all who dwell on the face of the earth. But to me, there's, there's wisdom in not only providing for an inheritance for your children, but in providing some reward for yourself that will go with you into the next phase of this life. And, you know, this, this is an upside-down, backwards kind of kingdom that, that we're called into compared to the rest of the world. So only what you give away goes with you. That's true. 
And, and that was the basis for Augustine's statement. The, the bellies of the poor are a much safer storehouse than barns. Because those bellies will, will get that reward to the next phase of life where the, the barns will not. They will be left for someone else to decide what to do with. So, to me, it, it makes sense to, to position ourselves to, to be generous to those who are in need. That actually helps us It, it, it helps solidify in, in our hearts the, the definition, the true definition of what our life is made up of. The more stuff we give away. So... Let me let me read for you the the next part of that passage from Luke chapter 12 because I, when you when you read the next part of the chapter in the context of which I've been speaking it has much deeper meaning so we'll pick up in, in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, after he told the parable, For this reason, because of what I just told you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, and they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his life's span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why are you anxious about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O men of little faith? And do not seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek for his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make yourselves purses which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, 
where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight. And be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves because they were ready. And be sure of this, that if the head of house of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So, if our life is truly defined by our knowing God and being known by Him and being in this close, personal relationship with Him. If that defines our life, that is what our life consists of, then it makes complete sense to seek first God's kingdom. And it makes perfect sense that if we seek His kingdom first, that everything else will be taken care of. Because that really is, is the way that God created us to live. And, and so, so when we enter into that way of living that we were created for, God just, he, he, he can't help but do the rest. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. He says, some people who get it. <laughs> do, you, do you think I'm going to let them starve and, and be without clothing? No. If, if I do this for the birds and for... Even the grass of the field I adorn with these wonderful, beautiful flowers. If I have a people who actually get it, I'm going to take care of them. And, and that's it's, you know, what, what he says about giving to the poor. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make yourselves purses that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven. I, I don't think he could be much more clear about the idea that it's only what we give away that we get to keep for eternity. 
What we think we need to keep here will stay here. And somebody else is going to get it. And fight over it most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I'm going to close with, with this. Uh, that God rewards those who seek him. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 5. Enoch is, is one of those characters that we know very little about in, in the Old Testament. What we do know is he, he must have been pleasing to God. He, he did not die. He just was not because he was with God. And to me, this, this is an encouragement. That there, there may be this place where, where, where a human being can get to where if, if they actually get what I've been saying in, in the deepest part of their being and, and they actually turn their life to be lived in, in that direction to, to knowing God and, and pleasing Him that there must actually be a place where a human being can become so pleasing to God that God just can't stand to not have them with him anymore. And whoosh, they're there. What if we shot for that? I mean, why not? Jesus told us what our life truly is. And, you know, in, in our fast food, fast medicine, fast everything culture, we have a hard time waiting on God. God, I've got 10 minutes here. I've got a half hour here. I've got a couple minutes here. And if, if you can speak to me within those constraints, that would be great. But other than that, I'm a little busy. 
So instead we seek those words elsewhere. TV, internet, books, whatever it might be. Back to Enoch. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I I challenge us in the, the remainder of 2013 to earnestly seek the Lord. To, to know him in a way that you haven't before. To, to spend that time waiting. Um, Misty Edwards has some pretty amazing songs about that. One of them, I'll, I will waste my life on you. Well, what, what's the waste? Who's, who's actually wasting their life? Those who are not. If, if you want the, the spiritual promotion that the Lord was speaking about today, uh, seek Him. Seek to have Him align your heart with His. To, to share with you, with your heart, what is on his heart. Ask him to re- renew your mind, your, your value system, and, and to align it with his. Because our value system has, has been so bombarded with marketing for all of our lives in, in this culture. So, if, if there's anyone here who has not entered the, the new life the, and been made 
a new creation, a new kind of creature. I, I would love to speak with you today. But I, I want to pray for all of us as I close uh, that, that the Lord would strengthen us to seek him more diligently. And we, we will have um, the prayer team up here. We'll have the prophecy team over on, on your right. And I, I will pray and bless the food also because we're, we're about to eat a meal together. So, Father, I pray that we as a people would enter into the truth of what our life is, of what our life consists of, what, what our life is defined by, and that you'd heal us, Lord, from believing wrong things about what our life consists of. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to become a bride made ready and that we would be ready at all times. I pray that you'd strengthen us in our inner being to seek you more diligently and that you would encounter us, that you'd give us revelation. And spur us on. Help us to spur one another on as the day approaches. So, Lord, we ask you to heal those who need healing today, encourage those who need encouragement, and bless the food that we're about to eat. In Jesus' name. You know, uh, <laughs> there was another passage I was going to look at today that, that hit me on, on my way up here, and I'm just going to give it to you as an assignment. Uh, if you will look in Revelation chapter 3 at the church of Laodicea, you will see that the root of their problem was what I've been talking about today. Okay. <laughs> We're done. <laughs>